hauling Just look at the load I'm hauling Hard work, I hit it harder Ain't nothing new for a backwoods farmer Sun up to sundown Backing up traffic all the way to town Camo hat and a farmer's tan Welcome to Fast Line Fast Track, presented by Fast Line Media Group, your innovative consumer resource and marketing partner of choice for the evolving agricultural community. Now, here's your host, Brent Adams. Well, welcome to another episode of Fast Line Fast Track. It's great to have you with us on this episode. Ag Monitor founder and CEO Olivier Gerfignon tells us about new funding for his tech company, which helps California growers manage their water usage. We hear an update on the Colorado Farm Show Scholarship Contest and an FFA partnership with DeKalb for another unique scholarship opportunity. We get an update on what the latest WASDE report means for corn and soybean growers. The hot rod farmer Ray Bohax has another installment of Bushels and Cents, and we hear the music of Paige King Johnson. You won't want to miss a moment of this one. Let's go. Well, first up this week on Fast Line Fast Track, San Mateo, California-based Powwow Energy has a new name and $1.5 million in new private investments that will help the company apply technology to help build a water-resilient food system. Here to talk about all the exciting developments is the company's founder and CEO, Olivier Gerfignon. Olivier, welcome into Fast Line Fast Track. Thank you for hosting us, and uh, we're very excited to help California in this critical time. So the entity was rebranded as Ag Monitor, you say, to represent the simplicity of your AI platform. Before we go any further, could you take us back and give us a brief history of the company to set the stage for where we are today? Sure. We started with a simple AI innovation to turn the energy records of pumps around California. You know, we uh, all paid through our rates increases with utilities for the smart meter you know we get one at home there's actually one attached to a pump also and so we we turn a, uh, all those water energy records into water records for the new grand water regulation that's a simple app uh, we did a seed round four years ago and as we got more into farming we realized they were going through a massive digital transformation to be more productive and also build automated reporting for nitrates labor regulations water and also navigate through rate changes for uh, electricity. Uh, one little thing people don't realize, but we're all moving from noon to 6 p.m. peak rates uh, in California to 5 to 8 p.m. You know, that's when we had our blackouts recently. And so there's a lot of incentive to move our uh, energy consumption off those 5 to 8 p.m. hours. So the farmers really need one platform to manage the asset and manage all their input and, 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 and revenue. So we built this enterprise software over the last three years. And they wanted to have something that feels familiar and they can trust. So AgMonitor is the summary of that. And so uh, through agmonitor.com, a little bit like GoToMeeting, GoToPC, GoToWebinar, they have access to one platform to do a number of things. And it's the same service, the same people they can talk to on the phone, and uh, they can pay based on what they need to, to do. So I know one of the things that your company talks about is providing answers and not just data to food, energy, and the water sectors. You've got a decision support tool that leverages the machine learning to solve practical problems in agriculture. How have you seen that play out since you guys have become a bigger player in agriculture? I'm glad you asked because data is not very useful for farmers. They're in the field. They have things to do. So, you know, having this unload of huge data is the distraction. But if I know, I'll give you an example for solar. If I know what they're paying for energy, if I know the radiation, because I'm also doing some uh, crop management, if I know what they're paying for their 
solar cleaning, I can tell them using AI when the dust settles throughout the summer because of harvest, when they're starting to lose uh, energy generation from solar and when it's worthwhile to go and clean. That's an answer. If you go and clean next week, you'll save $5,000 on your bill next month. That is clear. They can act on it, and they know why they're going to ask one of their staff members to clean, as opposed to track three or four different times of data from the utility, from their solar installer, from the weather forecast. They don't have time for that. They need a concise answer. And that's an example of what we automated. Well, I know anytime you talk about helping increase profitability on the farm, uh, people's ears are going to perk up here. And uh, you can integrate a lot of this on-farm data to connect with accountants, agronomists, and uh, ranch managers using your proprietary enterprise software platform. Yeah, it's, it's you know, technology is getting deeper. One of the things we're doing now is working with a mobile app to let the field crew, you know, who's not necessarily connected to the internet because, you know, we don't have such a great broadband coverage in Central Valley. So one of the things we're trying to do socially is to, to get everybody on that bandwagon to, to benefit from remote communication during the COVID-19 pandemic. So we stay in touch to, you know, be able to be more productive on the field. And uh, we're trying to, to bridge that gap between, you know, field workers with less education and owners who are more educated. You know, if it's California, is still like the rest of the country will be polarized. And I think technology is one of the most democratic things to do. You know, we can all have access to quality data to make better decisions in uh, any of our, our jobs, whether you're, you're picking hard, uh, the crop on the field, whether you're, you're, you're turning the pump on or you're the accountant or the farm making, you know, payment decision or the owner when you do uh, investments. So we try to serve all of those people. And I think, like you said, it's, looking forward uh, in a positive manner. So in addition to the $1.5 million in private investments, you also received a $3 million grant from the California Energy Commission to further develop irrigation scheduling and mobile application features and to help underserved farming communities. I know that's something that will have a big impact on growers as they face increasing global production demands. That's right. They're really facing once-in-a-lifetime crisis, you know, not only water restrictions, but uh, weather changes uh, because of uh, trade wars, uncertainty in, in the commodity prices. So it's harder to make profit, right? And so they have to really look at their operation like other sectors who went through a digital transformation and try to, to be more financially sustainable at the same time of you know doing all the adjustment in water reporting nitrogen. So the Energy Commission found a couple of things where we could help the farmers. You know, water we already did, but nitrogen, you know, now uses the micro-irrigation system to be more precise and, and more effective. And so, you know, nitrogen production distribution is a big energy user. So why don't we do the fertigation optimization as, as, as the same as the water and energy scheduling? So that was one thing. The other thing is, you know, the people working in the field would turn things on and off. They don't necessarily know what the energy rates are. So how do we help them, you know, do the irrigation or fertigation schedule outside those peak hours that I was mentioning? And it's moving. You know, it's moving from noon to 6 to 5 to 8 p.m. So what are those opportunities to, to make the life of the field worker easier uh, and also, uh, you know, save 20 or 30 percent of the energy bill to the owner? So we're, we're just trying to be a, a connector. And I think business communities look for economic opportunity and education is a big vector. And what we've seen is uh, the Energy Commission allowed us for the grant 
to not only do a mobile app, but also work with local partners like West Hill College in Kalinga and other community colleges to think about what kind of simple classes online or simple education programs we could offer in tandem so people who only have an high school education or need a little bit of help to work with an app, how do they go and have access to that online? So that was what the grant was all about. And uh, we're, we're grateful to work with the Energy Commission who, who sees the need to, to invest in those communities. So we've talked a lot about California. Are there any plans uh, on the table to expand this beyond the state of California? Sure. Uh, you know, we have a social component to our business, so it takes a little longer to normally do the product uh, sales fit, but also make sure the way people use our product has a good social impact. So that's why it takes a little longer to mature compared to other pure tech investments Silicon Valley. So that's the reason why we focused on California. We have a plan to break even in the next 18 months in California. And at that point, we'll go to other Western states and other markets with specialty crops. You know, you can think about Spain, uh, Australia, things like that, or, you know, closer to us, Southern America. But we're very careful that we're doing it in a, in a way that has a good impact. And so uh, we're still going to stay in California next 18 months. Uh, until we break even and we are financially independent. Well, this is a great example of where tech intersects with agriculture. And I know we've heard a lot about that over the past few years, you know, getting Silicon Valley companies more involved in developing technologies that will help move this industry forward into the future. Absolutely. I think there's been some great projects like Blue River Technology in the Montreal Peninsula. We're a great example of Central Valley. Uh, but in general, you know, farming doesn't have as many standards as other industries. I think compared to healthcare or, or telecom, they're going to have a harder time. And I think, again, one of the things we need to invest more across the board is education, where you know people, part of the community, can access to resources, and also universities can connect with their commercial vendors and and, and see how those pieces work together. In Silicon Valley, what a great story! When you think about you know Cisco system and other companies. Their, their, their tools are plug and play. You can go around the world, you can buy a system, it plugs in with other systems to deliver this end-to-end experience that we have today, you know, on the phone or using a Zoom conference, right? So that's kind of where farming has to be in 10, 15 years. And Silicon Valley can share their experience about building bridges with the education system and, and, and have standard-driven application as opposed to, you know, local solutions that are innovative but might be idiosyncrasies that are very hard to scale and, and create, you know, thriving businesses. So if folks want to learn more about Ag Monitor, where can they go to read up on it and to reach out to you? Sure. Well, first of all, you can log in on our uh, website, www.agmonitor.com. Very simple name. That's one of the reasons we did it. So, you know, uh, any farmer we work with and their style, they can just say, hey, I'm just going to plug into Ag Monitor. So please guys, uh, read about us on, on our website. And then, uh, you know, we're very present locally for people who are in selling us. We are the uh, Western Grower Association incubator at uh, Fresno. We are at Fresno State at the Water Energy Technology Center. And in Davis, we are in Woodland at the Axtart Center. So if you want to connect with us, there are those community incubators, and we have some staff there. So don't be shy and talk to us. Well, Olivier, this is great technology here, and I really appreciate you taking the time to join us here on Fastline Fast Track to break it all down for us. And hope you come back in the future here as we get a little further down the road and, and see where all this goes. Thank you so much. Have a great day.
Chandler Equipment. For 51 years, Chandler Equipment has been manufacturing excellence. The finest quality in pull type and truck mount fertilizer lime spreaders and litter spreaders, fertilizer tenders, seed tenders, and litter conveyors. They also sell a full line of Raven Industries Precision Ag products. To find out more about the full Chandler product line or to find a Chandler Equipment dealer near you, visit ChandlerEquipment.net or give them a call at 800-243-3319. Well, next up this week on Fast Line Fast Track, the organizers of the 2021 Colorado Farm Show announced last week that for the first time in its 56-year history, the show is being canceled as a result of the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic. Despite the cancellation of the show, the show's board of directors has decided that the 2021 Colorado Farm Show Scholarship Program will continue to be fully funded. That's 13 scholarships worth a total of $28,000. And applications for those scholarships are due on November 1st. So we wanted to bring on Keith Maxey, the director and livestock agent for the Colorado State University Extension, Weld County, who is also the chairman of the Education Committee and assists with the Scholarship Review Committee. And Keith, welcome into Fast Line Fast Track. Thank you so much for this opportunity. Well, I tell you what, when I heard about this, I wanted to help get the word out because this is an unusual time, but this is also a very important program. And for folks who are unfamiliar, these scholarships are awarded to students who strive to leave a lasting impression on their community and in the agriculture industry and who are pursuing an agricultural major at a college, university, or trade school of their choice. And this program has a big impact on agriculture and the students interested in it, doesn't it? Uh, yes, it does. I think one of the great things about this program is is it um, is a way to help us build some of our agricultural leaders in the future, which uh, as our as our ag industry continues to um, get more advanced technologically and and be involved in, in things that require higher levels of skill and and capabilities that it's really a great thing that the Colorado Farm Show recognizes this and has been supporting students that have been pursuing continued education at trade schools or colleges uh, following their high school graduation. How long has this farm show had a scholarship program? Um, the scholarships were started back in 1992, um, and the initial scholarship uh, that was awarded uh, was in recognition of Chuck Urano. Chuck um, was a longtime Weld County 4-H agent, and he and another agent were really the um, the forefathers of the Colorado Farm Show and got it started years and years ago, um, well, 56 years ago to, to be precise. And in recognition of that and, and due to the fact that the Farm Show had gotten to a position financially where they could start giving back, um, uh, they established uh, the Chuck Urano Memorial Scholarship, and from there it has just grown. And how have you seen some of those scholarship recipients have an impact on agriculture? Um, well, actually, we've seen some of them come back and, and be volunteers uh, at the Colorado Farm Show. We see have seen uh, individuals that have taken leadership positions in different uh, um, industry associations or, or breed associations, um, and uh, just use their skills and their knowledge that they've gained um, through college or, or their farming background uh, to become leaders of those organizations. So I understand that you're getting ready to retire at the end of this year here and, and step off that board. What are some of your fondest memories of not only that farm show, but also this scholarship program? Well, I, I, some of my fondest memories of the farm show was the fact that 
that uh, I was around when it got started 56 years ago. So it, it kind of dates me a lot. Um, uh, but I remember uh, going to those early farm shows as a member of 4-H and as a member of FFA and, and seeing what was new and, and um, what was uh, the latest for agriculture at that time. Uh, another memory of mine is that my father, George, was um, not only uh, on the Dairy Day uh, Education Committee, but was also chair of the farm show uh, at one point. So it's been a, a long-standing uh, involvement over the years and, and something that uh, I've treasured deeply. Well, we're certainly looking forward to one of the nation's great farm shows coming back in full force in 2022. In the meantime, if you have a student or if you are a student looking to pursue a degree in agriculture, check out the Colorado Farm Show Scholarship Program at coloradofarmshow.com and click on the scholarship tab. And remember, the deadline to apply is Sunday, November 1st. And Keith, we want to thank you so much for taking the time to join us on Fast Line Fast Track. We wish you the best of luck the rest of this year and the best of luck in retirement. Thank you, Brent. I appreciate this opportunity greatly. One other bit of scholarship news this week. The National FFA Organization and DeKalb Brand Corn will unite on October 18th at the NASCAR race in Kansas. The partnership includes the unveiling of the DeKalb FFA Ford Mustang driven by Clint Boyer with dual historical wings for both the FFA emblem and DeKalb. FFA and DeKalb are focused on improving the future of agriculture and together will offer students the opportunity to qualify for the Winning Has Roots Scholarship. The scholarship will help one qualified student fund their continued education. The scholarship amount will be determined by the number of laps Boyer completes at the Hollywood Casino 400. A base amount of $6,400 is to be awarded to the recipient with an increase of $14 for every lap Boyer completes. If all 267 are completed, the scholarship will increase to $10,138. If Boyer wins the race, the scholarship will be increased to $14,000. Final scholarship amount, details, and next steps will be announced following the October 18th race. Well, next up on Fast Line Fast Track, the latest World Agriculture Supply and Demand Report from the Department of Agriculture brings potential for increases in the price farmers receive for their crops. American Farm Bureau Federation economist Shelby Myers says USDA lowered old crop ending stocks for corn, changing the landscape of supply and demand. The carryover of 1.9 billion bushels of corn and changes the corn area planted from 97 million acres to 91 million acres also put the new crop year at different starting line for supply. With corn supply changes and demand changes overall, ending stocks are expected to be about 2.1 billion bushels and the hopes of a larger price rally will really fall on the need for corn demand to pick up at Pace. For soybeans, 2019-2020 ending stocks were lowered to 523 million bushels and demand was slightly increased. Rolling into the 2020-21 marking year, USDA cut soybean area planted by 700,000 acres and lowered the amount to be harvested. The 2020-21 demand is good news. 2.2 billion bushels for soybean exports that's currently estimated would be the largest on record if achieved. Meyer says the report resulted in a market rally for corn and soybeans. Unfortunately, the reactionary price bumps came later than what would have been ideal for many farmers, especially those who've been marketing the old crop and what ultimately ended up being a tighter-than-expected supply environment. But the price rally is certainly welcome news. Any potential yield changes that could impact supply favorably, combined with some renewed hope for demand increases, would help keep these market impacts. You can find a complete analysis on the Market Intel page at fb.org. Next up on Fast Line Fast Track, it's time for another installment of Bushels and Cents with our buddy, the Hot Rod Farmer, Ray Bohax. Don't forget to check out all of his great multimedia content at farmmachinerydigest.com.
Welcome to Bushels and Cents, a weekly podcast from the Farm Machinery Digest. I am your host, Ray Bohax, the hot rod farmer. And never forget, it is not what you make, but what you keep that counts. Your wife's car is seven years old, and it has about 80,000 miles on it. She has an in-town job, and on the way to work one morning, the engine overheats. The repair shop in town says that it has a blown head gasket, and since it is a V6, both need to be replaced. The estimate is $2,000 for parts, labor, fluid, and machining of the cylinder heads. In almost every instance, a head gasket failure is due to the coolant not being changed every few years. The anti-corrosion inhibitors become neutralized and eat away the head gasket, even though the freeze protection was still good. The lack of service cost your farm the equivalent of 572 bushels of crop. Visit FarmMachineryDigest.com where steel and soil meet. Well, next up on Fast Line Fast Track, Paige King Johnson has had music in her blood since she was a little girl, and her dream has taken her all the way to Nashville. She's opened up for some of the biggest names in country music, and now she's poised to grab that spotlight for herself. She just released a new single called Just Like You, and we can't wait to hear all about it and what she has planned next. Paige, welcome into Fast Line Fast Track. Thank you for having me. Hey, I know this has been a very busy couple of weeks for you as you get this single released here, but I really appreciate you taking the time to join us and to talk a bit about uh, what you've got going on. Absolutely. Well, I mean, I love being able to get this song out to as many ears as possible, and uh, I'm just glad that you have me. So what's it feel like when, when you put all this work into a song, into the release, and and uh, you, you can take it from the recording stage to launch? That's got to be a really exciting feeling. It is, and especially uh, I'm a songwriter as well, and so getting to see songs grow from the actual inception time of you know having the idea come to you and then taking it into a writing room with another person and then going from there and taking it into the studio and kind of figuring out okay well what kind of legs do we want to put this song up on and how does it sound in our heads and um and then going from that process into having the final version and then creating the visual aspects of it with music videos and with lyric videos that are so popular these days. And then getting from that point into the actual release of it and getting it into the hands and the ears of people who are then, you know, hopefully if you, I've done my job right as an artist and a songwriter that, you know, they're giving me feedback of, Oh my gosh, I love this song or I can, I can hear myself in this song or uh, you know, I can really relate to this song. And so it's just a really cool, uh, a very long and a very intensive process, but uh, it's so worth it to be able to kind of be on the, this back end of it now that it's released and kind of looking back on this whole, uh, what has been, you know, a uh, 16 month journey from the beginning of writing this song to now getting it out. Um, it's just such a cool thing uh, to kind of have been present in all the the stages of it and to now be able to say here it is <laughs> has it gotten any easier from the very first time that you put out a single to this current one uh definitely but not in the fact that i have gotten smarter but in the fact that i've been able to add to my team and that i've been able to add a lot of smart people who know what they're doing uh, uh and who can kind of help guide along in that process and uh, you know, let me know, okay, now's the time when we need to do this. And now's the time when we need to start thinking about this. And, 
um, it, it is so true that for any artist that there is a whole team that surrounds them and um, that really makes everything kind of seem so seamless on the, the back end of everything. So as we said in the open, your career path you're on now is something you've been paving for yourself since you were small. You grew up in Angier, North Carolina, just outside of Raleigh. Tell us a bit about that and about how you got started and who some of your musical influences are. Yeah, so I grew up here in this small farming community in North Carolina. We're a good tobacco and sweet potato town. So, uh, you know, growing up in the, the country song element of things uh, was very normal for me. And I just thought that that was regular life. Yeah. <laughs> and um, so, you know, hearing people like who my parents listened to and they raised me up listening to classic country artists like Merle Haggard and Loretta Lynn and Dolly Parton and uh, Willie Nelson and all those great people. And, um, you know, all everything that they were singing about was just normal, normal life for me. And so I fell in love with country music from the very beginning. And uh, especially the whole storytelling aspect of the classic country artist and, um, you know, just how, they could create this song that is so powerful lyrically that, you know, you don't have to have all these big bells and whistles and in the production side of things. And that's really, um, you know, what the meaning of country music was instilled in me at a very young age. And it's still kind of what I try to, to get into my own music as well uh, whenever I'm releasing stuff. And it's just trying to bring it all back around to, okay, what is me um, and what is, uh, me as an artist and what's me as a person because I think that's what's so important as an artist and just um, you know relating to people and I, you know I grew up in such a small town in a close-knit community and um, my family has just been so great and it's just I want all of that to exude in everything that I'm that I'm doing as an artist. You talk about all those great storytelling songwriters uh, how much have you tried to lean on that as you develop as a songwriter and maybe even some of the things that you've heard or some of the concepts that you've heard and tried to adopt some of those and maybe kind of make them your own? Uh, all the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I tell people that, um, you know, I consider myself a modern retro artist, which sounds very contradicting of itself, but I, I love this new wave of country music that's coming in Um, through artists like John Party and, um, you know, Luke Combs and Haley Witters and all those people who are kind of bringing all those old sounds of country music back in um, and the old art of storytelling back in to their songs. And um, it just makes me excited because it it validates the kind of music that I'm making myself as well. And, um, you know, I tell people all the time, and especially when I'm in the studio with my producer, Uh, I told him from the beginning, I said, Bill, I trust you because we connected on so many levels of artists that we liked. Um, But I said, if we don't come out of this thing and there's not steel guitar in every single one of my songs, we got to go back in and do it all over again. Uh, That's right. And that's why we like you. (laughs) That's awesome. And and bonus points, if you can uh, throw throw some twin fiddle in there at some point, too. Oh, absolutely. 
So in 2015, you set out for Nashville and Belmont University, where you majored in music business. You know, so many influential people in the country music industry, uh, from songwriters to label executives and employees in the industry have come through Belmont. What were some of the most helpful classes for you there? And how do you feel that experience shaped your musical career? There were a few. So I am, uh, even though as a creative, I'm a very organized, creative person. And so uh, I geeked out on all of the business side of classes that I got to take. So um, my music contract law classes were really, really fun for me. And, um, you know, business law, all of that kind of stuff interested me, um, you know, at a lot as an artist, just because um, so many artists can get into these these crummy deals for themselves that, you know, may seem good on the front end of things, but once they finally get into uh, the stages in their career where they are truly making money and they should be making money, they really aren't seeing that kind of come back to them because of these deals that they entered into um, so early in their own careers. And um, so I really enjoyed taking those classes and, and figuring out what I deserve as an artist um, and what is expected of me as an artist back to whoever, you know, I am entering into deals with or just trying to partner with um, for the future. And, um, you know, I don't, for anybody who's ever taken a law class, I think there is some, like, you know, inkling of interest of just all these different cases and things that you learn about. And it's like, all right, don't make that mistake. Uh, so so do, do you find that's even tougher as an indie artist? Because it's kind of been my observation, uh, kind of looking over the landscape over the last decade or so, that there's a lot of people out there that, that would really love to prey on independent artists, you know, uh, uh, because when you're a, a label signed artist, you've got them taking care of all the pieces, but as an indie artist, you're having to take care of all those. And there's a lot of people that just want to get into your pocket and, and take money from you and promise you what you want, but, uh, uh, won't deliver when the chips are down. Absolutely. And I think, you know, it all kind of comes back down to, um, I'm, I'm very much a person who acts on gut feelings and, um, you know, it's being able to judge character first. And I am a person who, whenever I'm meeting a new person who could be a prospect for, you know, bringing on to my team to help out with strategizing things or whether it's, um, you know, partnering with a company for promoting a new single or whatever may be coming. Um, I am very much a person who will take time and really try to get to know them on a personal level first, just to make sure, okay, this is a person that I want to be associated with. And this is a person that I want to, that I trust to bring into, you know, all of my plans because as an independent artist, you have to be your own bodyguard. You have to be your own cheerleader. You have to be your own promoter. And um, you kind of have to be that wolf to keep everything, every, everybody else out. And so it can be tough and it can kind of suck sometimes when you do have to end things or say no to things that, you know, you feel like could be beneficial. But um, in the end, you know, that person just isn't a good match for you on a personal level. And uh, I think that's been one of the biggest things that I've had to learn as an independent artist is that, um, you know, you have to protect you and this career and this um, camp that you have made for yourself because 
uh, you're hoping that it's going to get to the next level and that you will get to that label level where there's plenty of other people and trusted people and who have, you know, proven themselves. But um, at, until then, you kind of have to protect, protect the house, you know? Yeah. yeah. Would you say that's been the toughest part of carving out a niche as an independent artist? Yeah. And um, especially for for somebody like me, because I have major FOMO in a lot of situations. <laughs> and so, or I just like to play out every possible situation in my mind first before I finally go with anything just to make sure that I'm making the right decision. And so, um, you know, in the end being uh, probably a little over analytical has saved me from a lot of problems, but it can be very, um, it can be very taxing. (laughs) Probably probably more so for everybody around you though, right? Yeah. Yeah. And frustrating. Um, but in the end, you know, I'm very grateful that I am wired that way. Yeah. So aside from what you were doing at Belmont, how did you go about building your career as an artist once you got to Nashville? So actually I didn't even start writing, um, my own music until I moved to Nashville. So that was kind of, the first couple of years of being in Nashville was really me trying to get my feet up under myself of being a songwriter and trying to figure out, uh, you know, how to craft songs and how to craft ideas and then trying to figure out how to co-write with people, which is a whole um, other skill set that is uh, something that has to be learned and that I'm still working on daily. Um, so it was a lot of just finding myself as a songwriter and finding my voice and growing in that whole skill set. Um, and also just trying to live life and come up with enough things to write about. And then after that, uh, you know, once I was moving towards, um, you know, wanting to kind of start pushing out music as an artist for myself, it was trying to get out and play shows. And Nashville is famous for um, all these writers rounds that they have, which I fell in love with and still love to play these days because uh, it creates a space for songwriters to be able to, to take new songs out they've written and, um, you know, kind of play them in the stripped down version, but to test them out and kind of see if people relate to them, if they enjoy them, um, which is very, very beneficial on the artist side of, you know, knowing which songs to take into the studio and to cut um, for future releases. And so I spent, you know, the next couple of years really doing that and trying to, uh, you know, grow on that end of things as an artist and try to build up my repertoire and kind of see what I wanted to put out as a first project. And then um, after I graduated from college was when I met my producer, Bill McDermott, and started working with him, um, as well as kind of building up the rest of my team around me. And uh, once I got out of college, I hit the ground running. I was ready. And I knew by then that I had a lot of songs under my belt that I was really proud of and that I felt were authentically me as an artist and what I wanted to put out. And uh, so I went from there and jumped into the studio and um, released my first single last year and went on radio tour with that and did a music video. Um, And once we came off of that, then releasing this single. So it's been a whole journey. (laughs) We should send a shout out to Bill McDermott. Uh, For those just jumping into the show for the first time, if you heard the, uh, the theme song music for us, Working Man, that was produced by Bill McDermott, one of the best in the business. So. No way! 
right. Yeah, it's written and performed by Dustin Collins, and we were actually there that day when he cut it, and I got a chance to uh, spend a little time with Bill and watch him at work, and man, he's the master. He is amazing, and that, like I said, you know, we connected so much on a personal level at first of just geeking out about the same music that we love to listen to all the time. And so we probably spent an hour in his studio, just like sharing songs back and forth of, Oh, do you remember this Patty Loveless song? And Oh, do you remember this Vince Gill song? And Oh, do you remember this whatever song? And um, so that's how I knew that me and him were going to, you know, be able to work well together and that he would understand where I wanted to go in the home music. And, and not only is he great, but he will bring in the best session players the, the city has, too. So yeah. you know you're getting some amazing backing as well. Yeah, it's insane. I, uh, just all the different people that he did bring in um, for the, the record that we did. I remember the steel guitar player that he brought in. He was sitting there sharing stories. Um, he was an older man. He had been out on the road for many years of his life before he became a session player. And um, just sitting there while he's just, you know, making up parts for the the song and he's punching him in in different places. And he's just sitting there sharing stories back and forth of all his times on the road. And I'm just sitting there in the background with my mouth wide open. <laughs> just like, is this man really playing on my song? <laughs> it's amazing. So one of the places in which you were fortunate enough to be able to cut your teeth was the legendary Bluebird Cafe, which I know was made famous by the TV show Nashville. What was that experience like, stepping on that stage? Terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> but great, all in the same, um, you know, 30 seconds that I had to walk up to the stage to get on there. But um, it was amazing. I, I went there on one of the open mic nights as for songwriters and, uh, it was actually towards the beginning of my uh, career as a songwriter. And so I was really excited and had a few new songs that I wanted to try out. And, you know, now looking back five years, four years later, I'm thinking, oh, gosh, why did I play those songs <laughs> <laughs> when I had a chance? But um, it was just it was such a cool, you know, bucket list moment as a songwriter and as an artist. And. Um, at the time I was, you know, semi new to the Nashville scene as well. And so, uh, it was a lot of emotions and, um, you know, really cool things happening at once, but, uh, the bluebird is still one of my favorite places. And, um, you know, obviously to get back there and to, to play a, a round is the next, um, you know, item on the bucket list to, to make it there. But, um, it's just such a special place. And, Whenever you're in there, you know, whether you're watching a show or whether you're playing a show or whatever, um, there's just this like presence <laughs> that, that you can feel. And it's just, it's so cool. So what are some of your other bucket list items? Oh, well, I am a person who loves the road. So um, just to be able to, you know, starting out to be in an opening act on, um, you know, a major tour for somebody. I would love to be on a major tour with another female artist and get to kind of share the road with her and learn the ropes um, because it is quite different uh, for a female and male touring artists as to, you know, what your life is going to look like. And so um, that is at the top of it, as well as being able to put out a full length album. I've been doing quite a bit of writing throughout quarantine and over the past year in its whole entirety. And so um, I'm itching now to get back in the studio and kind of get a full length album out. Um, and really, honestly, 
probably to be able to do that as an independent artist, just as my first project and be able to, you know, call it mine and be able to do it all my own. Cause I'm stubborn like that. Um, and from there, you know, it's, it's all, you know, unknown. I feel like in the past year, I've had so many things that I didn't ever think was were attainable for myself as an artist in my career. And, um, you know, whether it's bringing on new people to work with or, uh, getting performance opportunities or everything. So I've kind of learned to just stop making bucket lists. Nah, <laughs> fair <this>. enough. No. <laughs> just be surprised by things that are coming. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't think you should be surprised by anything that's coming your way because I know you're working hard and the talent's definitely there. So it's, it's exciting to see it all coming together for you. Well, thank you. That means a lot. Well, I know North Carolina is a place that still holds a special place in your heart. You know, you spent a lot of time going back there to perform and over the past few years uh, have gained quite a fan base there. You're a three-time nominee for Carolina Music Awards Best Country Female Artists. And one of the interesting things I learned about you that in high school, you founded your own dinner theater, uh, Country on the Outskirts of Town. Tell us about that endeavor. I did. So... Uh, I started playing guitar and, and playing out shows when I was 10 years old. And so um, as a 10 year old, there's not a lot of places to be able to play in general. Uh, you can't go out to bars and all that kind of stuff. So I uh, started out playing county fairs and local festivals and birthday parties and um, stuff like that. And it was really good as a, you know, a young performer trying to figure out, you know, the ropes of performing and all that. But uh, once I, had been playing for a few years and I was in high school, I was getting kind of frustrated because uh, living in a small town, there's not a lot of opportunities for growth in general. You kind of have to create your own or, you know, go outside. And so, um, you know, the closest live music scene that we have to my hometown is Raleigh, which is an hour away on, you know, not in rush hour traffic. And so, um, I was getting frustrated. And so I sat down with my parents and I said, if there's not anywhere that I can play around here, then I'm going to make a place and I'm going to create a place where people can go and enjoy live music and they don't have to drive an hour. And I'm going to create a place for other people like me who, uh, you know, want to perform and they want to, uh, have a place to be able to share their talents and their, their songs and all of that. Um, without having to go out and compete with the people who are in, you know, these big cities. And so um, I put together very blindly and did not know what the heck I was doing. Uh, the first dinner theater that we did when I was a sophomore in high school, and it has been running now for seven years, which is crazy. Um, and through that kind of same vein, uh, a few years ago, I launched a songwriter's night um that we host kind of sporadically but whenever i am back in north carolina i get together some different local songwriters and provide them a place similar to the rounds that i've grown to love and know in nashville and creating a, a place for you know people to be able to come out and listen to live music and that's not something that they get to do a lot around here um and then this past August, I actually launched a music festival, an outdoor music festival here in my hometown, which was the first that we had ever done. And so just trying to create all these different live music experiences for people around here who don't have uh, as much opportunity um, 
to be able to go and watch it. That's really cool. It sounds like you have the entrepreneurial gene. Oh, for sure. Both my parents, uh, they owned a small business and it's, it's been in my blood for a very long time. <laughs> do, do you foresee any other pursuits? Uh, is that something aside from music that you ever see doing is, uh, is uh, dabbling in business? No, I mean, I definitely enjoy it. And I always joked around when I was younger that um, if music didn't work out or even if music does work out for me, that um, I want to open up my own bakery because I really enjoy baking. Nice. Um, just being in the kitchen in general. And so that's always kind of been a dream of mine. So maybe, you know, one day in retirement, if I ever retire, I can open up my own bakery. There you go. <laughs> what, what's your go-to? I love cakes. Yeah. Um, I actually just made a, a new pumpkin velvet cake this Ooh. weekend for my family, and they loved it. So cakes are my my um, go-to. So your first official single, Water Down the Whiskey, was released in late January and uh, had a nice run on the Music Road charts. What was that ride like supporting that single? Crazy. Absolutely crazy. Um, it was so fun, and, and like I said, you know, um, I kind of stopped setting you know, high expectations for myself just so I can be a, a very pleasantly surprised whenever things do kind of fall into place. Um, and so whenever I put out the single, I was just really excited to, you know, have music out. And it was, like I said, it was such a fun process to create in the studio with my producer and all the musicians. And so um, at that point, I was just really excited to get it out. And I was hoping that the people from my hometown and my family would all support it. Um, but it, it really blew me away from the support of it for people on country radio and uh, people just finding the music video on YouTube or, uh, you know, people just randomly messaging me saying, I've been through the same breakup situation and it sucked and this song helped and nice. <laughs> all this stuff. And so um, it, it's been a whole ride and to be able to share it with uh, my family and my team and all of that as a, a big win for myself as an independent artist has just been so much fun and uh, still watching it, you know, grow um, with streams and downloads and all that kind of stuff is just uh, a really cool thing to see. So before we go any further, let's hear it. This is Water Down the Whiskey from Paige King Johnson on Fast Line Fast Track. in the way you keep 
kiss me and tell me good night. You should know that every woman knows when her heart just isn't in it. And she's only gonna be with a man who will treat her right. There ain't no use in watering down the whiskey. It's gonna be That song came out, and then a couple months later, the music world really started grinding to a halt as a result of COVID. How did you use these quarantine months, and how have you used these quarantine months, I should ask, to continue to build a career? I have done a lot of writing. Um, I think I have finished almost 60 songs over the past (laughs) uh, six or seven months since we've been here, which has been really good. Um, for me, whenever I'm out on the road, I don't get as much time as I would like to be able to really sit down and create and write songs. Um, and probably a lot of it is just because I'm running, running from one thing to the next and you don't have a lot of time to be inspired. And so it's been nice to have these kind of few reflective months to be able to sit down and, um, you know, write and getting back to the piano that I grew up, um, play in before I started taking guitar lessons has been really cool and kind of reconnecting with that and trying to reteach myself piano and um, getting back to my roots and here in North Carolina I've been away for five years and constantly on the go and so it's nice to be able to be back with my family and back on the farm and getting back to things that I haven't been able to do for a while. Do you miss the Nashville rat race at all? I do. A lot of mornings I wake up and I'm like, gosh, what I'd give to just feel really tired because I didn't get in until, you know, 1 a.m. because I went out to three friend shows after my round was over or (laughs) whatever it may be. But, um, you know, I'm hopeful that it will get back, hopefully. Well, think of how many more years you've added back to your life by being there the last few months. I know, right? It's uh, all the lost sleep and the the too many um, glasses of wine and <laughs> <laughs> well you got to get out there at some point again and start creating those experiences so you have something to write about huh 
I know, I know. I'm definitely itching to get back to it. I think we all are. So I know a lot has been written and said about the lack of airplane opportunities for female artists, especially on terrestrial radio. What do you hope that some of the female artists that you're breaking into the business with here in 2020 uh, can do to help turn that tide a little bit? I think, um, you know, there's so many different groups out there and there's so many different um, organizations who are pushing females in country music so much right now, which is um, great just because the fact that they're acknowledging that there is, um, you know, a disparity between the two is uh, the first push in the right direction. And, um, you know, so many years ago, there were the the radio was full slam full of you know so many powerhouse female artists and um there's still so many out there today they're just um you know not as as heard as they would probably like to be and so um you know between groups like cmt who have committed to playing 50 50 female and male music videos on their um both on their website and on their network has, is just one of the many things that has been so great in launching their next women of country tour that they do around um, that creates a space for all these up and coming female artists to be able to get in front of people and to be able to meet all these radio DJs. And um, it, it's just been such a good thing. And there's so many other companies who are doing the same thing and trying to create different spaces for women to be able to get out in the spotlight. And, um, you know, I think all these females who are busting their buns uh, are really appreciating that. And they're starting to see the pendulum kind of swing back towards where it once was. And um, that gives me hope and, um, you know, for the future and what has happened. And in my experience out on the road, doing radio tour and meeting all these radio DJs, I've had nothing but kind words and, um, you know, full support from them, which is very uh, hopeful for me. Um, and it just, I, I do think that, you know, this year and next year and the years to come are really going to kind of swing that back towards the middle. I'm hopeful for it yeah. <laughs> and I'm praying for it. Um, but, you know, until then we're, just we're we're still earning our spots and we're still just proving to everybody that you know we deserve to be just as heard as you know the the guys who are making great music uh-huh well it seems like you're coming in at the right time too yeah yeah i'm excited so what uh, we talked about baking what else do you like to do away from music <laughs> uh i'm an outdoor snob so i love you know whether it's going on a walk going hiking going running um, I grew up riding horses and showing horses. So being in a barn and getting covered in God knows what is a normal thing for me. And um, what else? Uh, I just, I, and I'm a people person too. So being able to just spend time with family, friends. Right now, not as much, but, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, whenever I can just get a time to, to kind of, um, you know, communing with other people is just, is such a thing that kind of pours back into me, which is, I feel like what everybody needs to do. What did you take from that whole horse showing, uh, uh lifestyle and, and, and that period in your life? A lot. <laughs> um, I definitely, you know, growing up, I was kind of envious of all my friends who 
played sports. Um, and I air quote, you know, I didn't consider showing horses a sport at the time, which now looking back on, I'm like, okay, well, that was probably one of the most intensive sports that anybody could have played, but, or, you know, participated in, but it definitely, it taught me so much because not only are you, you know, obviously trying to learn the craft of, um, you know, showing and, and how to, um, you know, perform well in a class or, you know, perform a pattern or whatever it may be that you're also having to take care of a, another living being and <laughs> keep it alive and, um, you know, showcase it to the best of its ability. And so it's a lot of, um, you know, relying on another thing and, um, you know, back and forth between, uh, you know, not just taking care of yourself, but something else. And so um, it taught me a lot of responsibility and uh, a lot of respect for, you know, another thing that you're relying on to be able to make yourself look good. And um, it taught me a lot of hard lessons of when you literally get bucked off, just no. get back up <laughs> and try again. <laughs> and it sounds like a lot of these things have crossed over into your musical career as well. Absolutely. And I'm grateful for my parents instilling that in me in a young age and, um, you know, getting me into that whole atmosphere and really teaching me perseverance and, um, you know, respect for other people and, uh, you know, scratching and clawing your way to the top wherever you need to be. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, that'll definitely serve you well. Hopefully so. So the last single that you released was pretty raw and gritty, and then comes this new single, Just Like You. You're coming from a different place on this one. Tell us about it. Yeah, it's a nice little slow love song, which I uh, don't write a lot of love songs. Um, but this this song was an idea that I had had for a little while, and uh, I, whenever I feel like when any songwriter or artist, who, whoever, is uh, trying to write a sort of love song, poem, letter, whatever, you usually have a certain person in mind and whatever it is you're trying to get across, you want to make sure that you're saying it the right way. And you want to make sure that, um, you know, you're not being too cheesy about it and that what you want to get across is getting across. And so um, I took it to a friend of mine that I actually met in college. Her name is Reagan Russo. And she's kind of my go-to girl for any kind of love song ideas that I ever have because she's just so great and poetic with lyrics. And um, I read her the, the first verse idea and I said, I don't really know where I want this to go, but um, I know I want it to be a love song. And so we kind of created this whole story of the give and takes in relationship. Usually we're screwing up and we're um, falling short of deserving that other person and what they're giving to us. Uh, whether it is a romantic relationship or a family relationship or a friend that is always there for you. And so, um, you know, trying to explain and acknowledge those shortcomings every single day. But uh, at the end of the day, the course kind of turns around and is just, um, you know, acknowledging the fact that they keep showing up and that they keep giving more into that relationship than what they're taking out of it. And um, that, you know, at the end of the day, you're still their person that they go to and that they choose over everything else. And um, I think that's the beauty in relationships and really what makes them work out for in the long run. And I uh, just kind of want everybody to take that away and just remember that, you know, relationships are a two way road and you gotta, you gotta keep 
given into them um, in order to be able to get something out of them. Well, here it is, the new one from Paige King Johnson. This is Just Like You on Fast Line Fast Track. Ain't it just like a man To forget every birthday And leave you hanging on the line Wondering if he's gonna say I love you Ain't it just like a man To show up late to the party Expecting you'll be ready to leave on his arm soon But ain't it just like you coming in from a long, hard day Dirty hands wrapping around my waist Baby, tell me what's happened since I left this morning And ain't it just like you to be so patient Even when I'm driving you crazy To know what I want to say before I think of things Just like me To make a mess of everything Falling apart to see how far you'll go to fix it And ain't just like me To ask you to up and leave Your job and your mom for a new hometown Just cause I'm in What's your favorite to perform a uh, a nice ballad or a uh, more more of a gritty song or an upbeat song or do you like them all equally? It's 
It's a toss-up probably between what the performance situation is. If I have a full band behind me, um, obviously the more up-tempo, hard-hitting things um, are funner to – funner, that's not a word – more fun. <laughs> <laughs> are more fun to play just because uh, you can feel the energy and you can read off the energy of other people on stage. But uh, the songwriter in me – really enjoys if I'm playing an acoustic show uh, of just me or me and a guitar player, um, those really stripped down raw songs that uh, probably rely more on the lyrics um, and are more soft-spoken in the music side of it. Uh, they really, those are the ones that I'm a sucker for and the ones that usually make me fall in love with other artists. So I really enjoy getting to do those too. How exciting is it for you to get up there and belt those out and to be able to look out into the audience and see the reactions? I think that's what every every artist lives for. Um, you know, we're constantly creating music and hoping that it is something that other people can relate to and that other people enjoy and that they keep coming back to, to listen to again and, um, you know, for whatever reason that they're experiencing another situation in life that they feel that they want to listen to that song again. And so um, I feel like as an artist, it's just validation that what you're doing is working and that it matters and that you should keep doing what you're doing. Um, if people are continuing to show up at shows and they're continuing to, you know, be in those front rows and sing them back to you and come up to you after the show and tell you how much they mean to you, uh, you know, that's really, that's what we're here for. So I know you talk about showing up at shows, and this is a, a loaded question right now. But uh, oh boy. <laughs> as as we sit here right now in October, what what is the rest of this year looking like? And and uh, I mean, do you have any kind of sense for how at least the first part of twenty twenty one is shaping up? Yeah, so I do thankfully have a few shows, uh, mostly all here back in North Carolina where I've been, you know, quarantining and uh, I'm grateful for the opportunities to be able to go and play these outdoor shows and being able to still bring live music to people um, while, you know, being safely distanced from them. And because uh, I think everybody needs it at this point, we all, yeah. <laughs> we need some aspect of normal and to still be able to, you know, be in a space where everybody feels comfortable enough to be able to relax and enjoy it. Um, so I do have a few shows and really kind of, um, the whole music industry kind of starts winding down after Thanksgiving anyways. Yeah. And so, you know, I'm not as stressed as a planner now going into that, um, you know, knowing that this is the time that I'm normally supposed to be winding down and getting to enjoy time with my family and the holidays, which I love. Um, so I'll definitely be taking time to, you know, enjoy the holidays and figure out what the heck they're going to look like this year. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, I actually do have some cool things um, that are all obviously very tentative for 2021. Hopes of, you know, things getting better and, you know, people getting weller um, so that we can start traveling again and playing and, um, you know, even some chances to be able to travel outside of the country, which is exciting if things, um, if we're allowed to do so. So I have high hope for 2021 anything has got to be better than this year <laughs> most definitely we've all learned a lot though and we've learned how to adapt and overcome i think that's the biggest thing absolutely i truly do believe that um 
you know, some good and a lot of learning experiences have come out of all of this, uh, not just for myself, but for everybody. I think we've uh, realized that these fast paced, crazy lives that are on the go constantly uh, maybe aren't necessary. Yeah. Well, I tell you what, if people want to follow your career, download your music, including the new single, where can they go? My website, which is pagekingjohnson.com. Um, and it has links to all my social media on there, to Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, um, all that stuff. It's just Paige King Johnson as well. Well, Paige, thank you so much for taking the time to join us here on Fastline Fast Track. We wish you the best of luck with the new single, and we hope you come back again anytime you have new music to promote. Well, thank you. I appreciate the opportunity uh, to be able to reach all these new people. Well, we want to thank you for joining us this week, and we hope you will join us for our live streams. The next one will be Monday, October 19th at 7 o'clock Eastern Time. We'll have a special edition with our pal Dustin Collins, the singer and songwriter of our theme song, Working Man. He has a new song, We Stand for the Flag, coming out the following day, and it's a real anthem to patriotism. You can pre-order that right now. We have the link on our Facebook page, and we hope you'll go check that out and support Dustin. Then the following night, Tuesday, October 20th, 7 o'clock Eastern, 6 o'clock Central. Our special guest will be Ashley Amber, who has new music out. You can hear some of those cuts right now on our Spotify playlist, which is the place to get all the music from past, current, and upcoming guests of the show, including Paige King Johnson. We also have an ag-specific live stream coming up Thursday, October 22nd at 4 p.m. on the Fastline and Fastline Fast Track Facebook pages and the Fastline Fast Track YouTube channel. Kurt Coffey, the head of Case IH Global Marketing Communications, will join me to talk about the future of agricultural innovation and how Case IH fits into that puzzle. So we hope you'll join us for that. We also want to say a special shout out to our musical sponsor, the Ernest Tubb Record Shop, 417 Broadway in the heart of downtown Nashville, Tennessee. Hope that when you're in the Nashville area, you'll go and check them out. They have a great selection of vinyl, CDs, and merchandise. And if they don't have it, I know they'll find it for you. They're open Sunday through Thursday, 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. and Fridays and Saturdays, 10 a.m. to 10 p.m. So when they're open, stop by and say hi and tell them you heard it here on Fastline Fast Track. I also want to say a special shout out to our friends at Farm Life and thank them for their support of Fastline Fast Track. Please go over and give their page a like and you can connect with others interested in agriculture. Then join me over there every Wednesday at 8 o'clock Eastern as I join my buddy Brandon Deal to talk about the things that are on farmers' minds. And speaking of things that are on farmers' minds, hey, the tax man's coming. Do you have equipment to buy? Now's the time to get in those Section 179 purchases before the end of the year. So head on over to FastLine.com and check out the equipment locator with the price comparison tool featuring the iron average powered by iron solutions that's fastline.com while you're on the website please be sure to sign up for the print catalog for your state or region no need to head into town to pick one up off the convenience store rack the fastline catalog is being delivered directly to your mailbox and it's still a favorite resource of farmers and ranchers across this great country and remember subscribe to the fastline fast track podcast on apple podcasts Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, Deezer, Audible, and Radio.com. Also, be sure to hit us up on all the socials, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and YouTube. Well, it's time for us to get on out of here. So until next time, it's Brent Adams saying y'all come back and bring along a friend. You've been listening to Fastline Fast Track, presented by Fastline Media Group. To learn more about Fastline's customer-focused marketing solutions, visit FastlineMediaGroup.com and check out our brand websites, Fastline.com, 
BigAg.com and PinkTractor.com. If you have topic suggestions for future podcasts, drop us a line at Brent.Adams at FastLine.com. 